So good morning to everyone again. Good to see new faces. I am glad uh, that my friend Adonis made it from Mexico City and came to all the way to Arizona. He's a high school friend and um, he's a journalist back there. So I'm glad that he's here, that he can see our fellowship and uh, how everything works here in Arizona. It's very different from our realities back home. So, yeah, I leave my mouse. Sorry. John is back there, and I'm very grateful that John is back on the audio and helping me with all these things. So, we have been going through the book of uh, First Thessalonians, and... Uh, I'm really happy that we made it, we're making it to the end. We had to rush a little bit here at the end, but I think we're doing well. I don't want to do with this uh, sermon the same thing that already brought me trouble with my girlfriend. That I normally see the notification of the message and I read the big part but I don't read it all. I leave the last sentences so we're going to to read the whole message to go through the whole letter thanks to God in this morning. So we went from verses 12, you see it on the green? Okay. Oops. Okay. <laughs> Great. So, we are doing a two-part sermon on final exhortations on conduct from Paul to the church in Thessalonica or Thessaloniki, how you want to pronounce it. And uh, today we're going to be dealing with the verses from 19 to 28. Hopefully make it in time. We already looked at... What's going on? Okay, John, I will just raise my hand and you push the, the green, please. Thank you. Oh, I know what is happening. Okay, we look to three basic practical conduct areas last time. We went to a first one that is called conduct toward leadership. It was from verse 12 to 13. We looked at a second one from verse 14 to 15 that it was a conduct but to toward each other. And we went through a third one. That was conduct toward God on verses 16 to 18. But we have to finish and make it to 28. So we're going to go to a fourth group. And uh, it's going to be conduct toward the Spirit. These are the verses that we looked already. Okay, and the fourth group is conduct toward the Spirit. This is a very wide statement, but we will go into this in a little bit. 
So we read scripture, and as always we do, we pray before we read the scripture for the day. Father God, we come to you in this morning, praising you and giving you all the glory for the things you have done in our lives and in the lives of our beloved brothers and sisters. We are so joyful, God, for your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness with Wendem Bible Church. Father, we thank you for who you are and for what you have done for us. We thank you, God, for this letter from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. And Father, we ask you, please, that you help us in this morning to learn from these things and to apply these principles to Your church today, Jesus. Father, help us to keep growing in the knowledge of, of you and your character. And Father, help us to please you with our lives. Be with us in this morning. Help us to understand the scriptures through your Holy Spirit. And more than understanding, please God, help us to live it out. That we may witness of you wherever we go. We praise you, we love you, and we ask everything in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're beginning today in verse 19. It says, Do not quench the Spirit. I am reading from Nasby 95. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I have to confess that I have a hard time with the word quench to translate. So I looked and tried to go and look for that word. It's something like subenumi. I'm trying to read Greek and Spanish, so forgive me. In the literal meaning, that word means To extinguish a fire. That's literally. But when we take it in a figurative language, it will mean to cause a fervent activity to cease, to stop, to quench. So it's, it's that cool how this term that was used for extinguishing real fire is used here to extinguish or stop the work of the Holy Spirit. In this context right here. And if you want the literal use. It's going to be Mark 9.48. And Hebrews 11.34. In Mark 9.47 and 48. It says if your eye causes you to stumble. Throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God. With one eye. Than having two eyes. To be cast into hell. Where their worm does not die and the fire, real fire, is not quenched. So that's an example of the literal way. Good. So the second verse, when we look at the second verse, verse 20, it's hard for me, although in English, to get it. So I look to several translations. Normally, mine is in Nasby. 95, and I found the ESV and NIV 84. So do not despise prophetic utterances, 
It can be on ESV, do not despise prophecies, or 20, do not treat prophecies with contempt. What are we talking about? What Paul is trying to tell to those people? You know, when we make a contrast between two churches, the church in Thessalonica or Thessaloniki and the church in Corinth, Charles Ryrie says that maybe what was happening, it was the opposite in those two churches. Maybe southern Greece that was lower in intellectual and culture levels and the north was more like with a higher culture and a higher intellectual levels. Maybe because of that difference, while the church in Corinth, as we know by the letters, they were disorderly using their spiritual gifts. On the other side, the church in Thessalonica was kind of restraining the use of spiritual gifts. So that's what uh, Charles Ryrie thinks that has studied the context more than me thinks that that was maybe what was happening, actually happened in Thessalonica, that those people were restraining the use of their spiritual gifts in contrast with what uh, the church in Corinth, we know they were doing. So what is that of good for us today? We have several issues there that we may talk about. First of those, I think nobody today has the gift of prophecy, okay? Like it was at that time. And uh, you don't have to share my own, own opinion, okay? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 to 9 says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy... They will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. And verse 9 says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Everything depends on your interpretation or your view on that Verse 10. For me, when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and telling them in verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away, is telling that when the scripture is completed and we have the whole revelation that was completed with the revelation written by John in the 90s, if you think that was when the canon was closed, when John wrote the last revelation, then you have my same opinion. You think that the perfect came with the book of Revelation that stopped and there's no more revelation. That, that was the perfect revelation. We have everything we need here and we don't need anything else. If you think that, you are with me and you think that we don't have prophet, prophets today in that same way. Now, if you think that verse 10 is talking about the coming of Christ in the future, 
than you may think they are prophets today. So that's up to you. The scripture, you have to, you have your own method of interpretation and you have to do your thing, do your thinking. So that's my position. We don't have prophets today for me. So how this could work, how this idea, this exhortation that Paul is giving to this church in the first century can be applied to our lives. We have to, when we talk about prophecy, we have to think about something. Because most of the people have a misunderstanding about prophecy. They think that prophecy always is about the future. And there's a part of prophecy that is about the future. That's the foretelling part. But there's another part to prophecy that is foretelling. That's why a lot of prophets got in trouble. That's why Jeremiah ended up in a cistern. Because the other work of prophets, more than talking about the future... It was to talk about the present and what was going on at that present. That was the thing that brought trouble to a lot of prophets. Just denouncing what was happening at the moment. Okay? So I want you not to be mistaken. Prophecy includes the two things. Talking about the future and bringing to the light what is happening in the present. So... Now that I made that clear, do we have prophecies today? Well, yes, we have these. We have prophecies about the future here. But I don't think we have someone who will bring new revelation today. I think this is all the revelation we have. Okay? These are, these are things Christians disagree And I just have to let you pray, read, and God and the Holy Spirit will lead you. So we continue on 21 and 22, and we read. But examine, examine, I always have a problem with, examine everything carefully. Hold fast to which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We have three actions concerning three things there. Examine concerning everything. And we are told there that do it that we should do it carefully. We have another action there that means hold fast to what to which is good and abstain from every form of evil. If we put that all together. I think it's about filtering. If we put those three verbs, those three actions, that's a whale chalk. I, when I was reading about those verses, I said, okay, that came to my mind. They eat plankton. They go through everything, and, and the plankton stays, and they, that's how they get the the nutrients and everything for them to live. But what can happen? Sometimes they end up doing that. Okay? 
So, how we today, Christians, should put together all of these that Paul is trying to tell to the church in the first century. Okay? First, we have all the revelations, so we don't have new prophets. How do we prophesy today? Proclaiming God's word. Okay? We don't have anything new, so we proclaim God's word. That's prophesying today. And uh, so we today, what we can do, just we won't quench the preaching or extinguish the preaching of the gospel, of the working of the Spirit through people giving to know God's word to others. Okay? So if Mary is, is just sharing God's word around, we encourage her at school. We don't tell her, Mary, what are you doing? You're going to get fired. No, we won't do that. We won't extinguish that. We won't quench that. If people are sharing God's word, we're going to encourage them. We're not going to extinguish that or quench that or try to stop it. Let the Holy Spirit work today through people sharing God's word, proclaiming God's word. That's the way we prophesy today. And the filtering part, that's clear. We should make a difference of those Things in our lives. And we should take each attitude with each of those things. We should be looking around to everything. I tell to people that when I became a Christian, I had to turn down my whole worldview and build it up from scratch or from the foundations. How I did it. That way. I had to examine everything. All the... Marxism, all my family traditions, my family scenes, all the things. I have to examine everything carefully. And I decided to retain some of that stuff. And I decided to put aside all the stuff. So we all should do that. And, uh, and don't think because you have been a Christian for a long time. That's something you don't have to do. We all have to do it. The day we stop thinking we have to do that, we might not be pleasing God or in a good place with God. So now that we covered those four, four areas, I divided the rest of the text because I don't want to miss it as I missed the last part of my girlfriend's messages. A final call for sanctification from 23 to 24. And this is something that is not new for us. When we read verses 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing we notice when we read that verse is that the way in which Paul is approaching these people just changed. It, he was exhorting them to behave in a way, to do some things. He was uh, describing conducts 
But now he is doing something different. He says, now may the God of peace. He's making a plea. He's asking God. He's wishing something for these people. Instead of commanding or telling them what to do, now he stops and he's just wishing something for these people. Okay? So now may the God of peace himself, nobody else, sanctify you entirely. We already have been looking at sanctification in this letter. And that's uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It's one of the places in the scriptures in which it says clearly, when someone asks you, what's the will of God for my life? For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Sanctification is a theme on this letter. This letter that is constantly reminding the moment in which they were and we are today waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a calling to holiness. Okay? So, we know, I already explained that a little bit, but I brought it again because we have to be clear in some theological terms and some things. Sanctification might be seen, or it can be seen in three ways. Positional sanctification. In the moment we believe, we belong to a different realm. We are not anymore children of the night or children of the darkness. We're children of the day in the same moment we believe. We have a different position in Him. Okay? And that is specific... <clears throat> I forgot. So that is specific, I forgot to tell you. Because every time we explain sanctification, we have to go from the wider meaning of sanctification, okay? The wider meaning of sanctification is to be set apart. So this setting apart, we can see it in three different ways. The first one is a positional separation. A first, a positional set apart. And the second one is progressive sanctification. I will leave that for later. Ultimate sanctification, it will be the moment we just get rid of this body, this flesh, this nature, and we will be free of sin. And we will be free of this body that all the time is taking us to sin. That will be ultimate sanctification, and we, we, we can call it glorification. These two, the first and the third are really different. Justification is just a, a legal condition we have of righteous just in the moment we believe in Christ and because of the work of Christ we are declared righteous. And ultimate sanctification will be the end. So we have the beginning of the road and the end of the road. But what is happening in the meantime? We are progressively setting ourselves apart, separating ourselves from the world and from all the things that God doesn't like and that He doesn't please. And that's our progressive sanctification. That's the moment in which all of us in this room, I hope we are. If you believed and you are not, and you don't have a glorified body, you are in this moment right there 
we are in progressive sanctification that people know it just like sanctification. So, he's doing this plea here. 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. This sanctify is talking about the actual progressive sanctification happening, happening in all our lives. How we constantly are discovering things in our life that, that are wrong. And we are setting those things apart. And we progressively every day become a little closer closer to God. Sometimes we go back. But in this process, the Holy Spirit show us things we're doing wrong. And we correct them with His help. That's why I like when it says... The God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. He's, he's work in our lives. It's not because of our own strength. It continues. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This verse is taken for some theologians. To say that we are, this is the doctrine of, of man, <coughs> sorry, this, this is the doctrine of man, and uh, some people try to figure out, the theologians try to figure out what's the, the man, the man made of. So some people think we are, we have only two things, we have a material part and a spiritual part. They normally say, say that we have a, a body and a soul. But there are other group of people who say that we have three things or three parts. That's trichotomy. And uh, they take this verse to prove their idea that we don't have two things, but we have three. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. I will let you study and decide about it too. Okay? And uh, the last thing I would like to see here, two last things. I want you to read the verse and see how Paul is pointing to sanctification as a whole process. It's not something that happens in a little part of our lives. It's something that is entire and works through all our being, our body, our soul, our spirit. It's a whole process, an entire process. And uh, at the end of verse 23... I like how Paul at that time was expecting the coming of, of Jesus Christ. We know 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years already have passed. But we should do the same today. Because we don't know for sure when he's coming back. So this same expectation that Paul had in the first century should be present in our life today. Okay, verse 24, faithful is he who calls you 
and he also will bring it to pass. Because of God's faithfulness is the reason why we can be sanctified and we are able to constantly be set apart for him because of his faithfulness. I can tell you that from myself. I have been working in my life just because of his faithfulness. Let's quickly look at two facets of God's faithfulness. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. And I like this one because it's, uh, it looks like the filtering process too. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is a way we can try to approach to our sanctification in the same filtering way we do with prophecy. We're taking all the good things we see around and the good examples, and we follow them. So, now talking in 24 about God's faithfulness, we have the two facets I told you. Good. One of the facets of God's faithfulness, John 10, 27 and 28 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. One of the facets of uh, God's faithfulness is eternal security. Eternal security is something great in my life, and I think can be great in your life if you believe it. We are saved until the end. Once we believe, we are always saved. Not because of us. It's because of God's faithfulness. And He assured that He won't let anybody to snatch us from His hands. Another facet of God's faithfulness is uh, Paul writing to the church in Philippi and says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. His work for us to achieve sanctification is guaranteed to be until the end. And uh, that was great, a great verse from me in Spanish when I was a, a believer at the beginning. Because when you are a new believer, you look at your Christian life, it, it's like a long tunnel, dark, and, and you don't know what is, what is going there, or like a mountain that you have to, to hike but you don't know how you're going to do it. So this verse was a big deal because this verse was telling me that he will finish 
what he began in my life. So that's another facet of, of God's faithfulness that I really like. So conclusion, the conclusion of the letter, it's another change in this. It's not about conduct. It's not about an exhortation. It's not about a plea or a wish. But he is already telling them what to do and trying to wrap up the letter. We don't want to miss that neither. From verse 25 to 28, brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Sorry. And I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We can see several things there. First, Paul is asking those people to pray for him. John MacArthur says that that's a, a big difference between Christ and, and Paul. Christ never asked the disciples to pray for him. He prayed a lot constantly and prayed every time he had to make a big decision. But Christ never asked the disciples to pray for him. But Paul here is doing that. And I am here doing that too. I will ask you to pray for me while I'm gone. So it's good that, that I got to this, this place in the, in the letter. So I can ask you to pray for me the same way Paul asked the church in Thessalonica to pray for him. Second verse on this portion, 26. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. We in Cuba kiss a little bit, but not as much as in Russia. And not as much as, well, and here you don't do that. It was just a cultural thing at that time. We can say, I don't know, shake your hands, love each other, give a hug or fist bump like I do with most of the people I can. Just show our loves. I don't, the only way we can translate that from the first century to today is just love each other. Show the love we have for each other. That's how I will put that last part. A good way to show to the people how we relate to each other. 27 is a kind of a strong verse. It's not now in a plea with God. It's not wishing. It's, it's telling them, do this. I adjure you by the Lord. Always Paul, when he's saying something is strong, he doesn't say, because me, Paul, he says, I adjure you by the Lord to do this. To what? To have this letter read to all the brethren. And today I can tell you, I could, I won't be like that, but I will tell you, please, what you have been learning from this letter, show it around. Explain it to other believers. Share it and leave it to. Final verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 
grace. That's a great word to finish this letter with. We know that grace is God's favor in the wider sense of the meaning. And uh, while I am leaving, and I will be shipping out on January with the National Guard, that's my prayer for Wendon Bible Church. That God be graceful with Wendon Bible Church. I know He has been. But I will keep praying that the grace of God may be shown here in this place, in this body of believers. So I will encourage you. I think we're done. I will encourage you to keep reading this letter. As I ask you to read it once a week at the beginning of this series. And I will ask you to try to live a life in the same way the Apostle Paul was telling these people to live it. On the expectation of the coming of our Lord. And may we all try to honor Him and glorify Him with our lives while we wait. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this place. I thank you for how you worked everything for me to come to this place and meet my brothers and sisters from Wendon Bible Church. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to Wendon Bible Church. Father, I ask you please, that you keep showing your grace and your faithfulness in this place. Father, that these people may continue working as a body of believers. And Father, that they may show around who you are through their lives and their example. God, help us all to live alive expecting You're coming, Jesus. Father, help us all and give us the grace to keep doing these things and honor you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we have a song.